This is Matt. And this is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. It was last episode where I did it and I told you I was looking away because I still can't look you in the eye while we, well, I say that because then I'll fuck it up. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was actually, I was looking at you this time and I fucked it up. Yeah, it's because I've been mouthing uh, lewd things at you the whole time. I, I didn't notice that. What what did you what did you mouth? Uh, you know, I'm not gonna say it out loud. Yeah, was it just like toilet paper? Toilet paper, yeah. Uh, a plunger. D- Dingleberries, That's lewd, right? Dingle <laughs> Dingleberries. <laughs> I've taken to calling my children Dingleberry like too quickly, and I, I I you know should probably stop that before they <laughs> start repeating too much, which would be fine. <laughs> I think it'd be really cute if they like. You know, if they met someone, they're like, what's your name? And they're like, Dingleberry. But, um, you know. <laughs> You've got a good, like, at least, I don't know, 12 years before therapy. I think I told you I've been on a Clint Eastwood kick. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, have you ever watched any of the Dirty Harry movies? I haven't. So I watched them all recently. Okay, what'd uh, you think? They're pretty good. I mean, they're interesting, yeah. I, I think there's like... Ever since uh, he got up on stage and berated an empty chair, I think people have uh, sort of written him off in, cer- in, in certain political ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that even goes back to his older stuff of like, oh, he's this reactionary, um, super conservative dude. And I th- what I found about the Dirty Harry movies is that they're a lot thornier than that. They're not necessarily like that element is present but there are definitely a lot there's a lot more there than just that kind of you know reactionary to the 70s uh and 80s uh, because the series lasted i think the last one's in the 90s um i like the first one quite a bit and the fourth one which eastwood directed i also like that one a lot uh two and three are are fine two is probably better than three uh, and the fifth one, which is the last one, isn't particularly good. Although it has like this moment where Jim Carrey is playing a, a rock star and he's lip syncing to Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> uh, but, I can't imagine him playing that straight. Like, does he mug it up or what? Yeah, he's uh, it's yeah, awful. He's yeah. he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's doing his shtick. Uh, it doesn't, that one's a little, I guess it goes for comedy a little more than the other ones. And there's, I can't necessarily recommend it, but there is this great scene where there's a remote control car with uh, like an explosive in it mm-hmm. and Harry's aware of it. So there's a car chase with a real car and a remote control car. And it's really fun and really clever. <laughs> um, but but the original one, like, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, he's just this fascist cop who, because the system doesn't work, takes things into his own hands, which is probably what people say what or not probably, but it is what a lot of people say about Marvel movies. But um, it, it's 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 heavier than that. Like he's a scary character in the first one, and his coworkers don't like him, and and um, the the courts don't like him because he does things incorrectly. And there's a scariness to him, even when he gets the bad guy. You're like, oh, I I don't know how I feel about this. So it was just uh, it's not as like cut and dry as I think sometimes people make it right. out to be. I feel like that, like those movies and 
get kind of lumped in with like death wish that kind of stuff yeah it's smarter than that and in the second one actively engages with that conversation by saying that by taking making the villains they're they're like harry but they take it to uh uh, an end result that's obviously like the pure fascistic way yeah. of going for a cop of saying like, no, I'm the judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one uh, has elements of that as well, where it has this woman who was uh, sexually assaulted and her sister was murdered and, and the cops don't do anything about it. So she starts taking matters into her own hands and Harry has to kind of reckon with that. Um, yeah. So... Uh, but I just found it interesting because there is a conversation now about taking things about police officers and and being responsible with them. Like you heard with like Brooklyn Nine Nine, how they with their final season after everything that happened last year and with the conversation around defunding the police, that they wanted to refocus their show and sort of address those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, but but you know, I bring all this up because because uh, today we're talking about Justified, which is about a U.S. marshal. Um, character named Raylan Givens. And I saw someone on Twitter recently saying like, oh, it's a bummer that my favorite show of all time is Justified because it's about a cop. And I was just like, well, I can tell the difference between (laughs) reality and fiction. And I think we could still tell these kind of stories uh, and and get at other kind of messages, even if I also believe that um, there needs to be some sort of police reform. Sure. You know, I think that take is kind of reductive because you know uh, uh the character Raylan Givens is is not necessarily I mean he's not as you know sternly punished he's kind of brushed aside and sort of moved around he's but he's a problem to like most of his co-workers and superiors he's never explicitly rewarded for and you know we're getting ahead of ourselves here but there is a a character who in parallel to Raylan is sort of also you know, maybe crossing a line and taking things into their own hands. And it becomes an interesting conversation, sort of like you were saying about the Dirty Harry movies about, um, you know, and and we're only talking about the first season, really. So who knows how much it gets into this, but like the difference between what, you know, the difference a a badge makes, you know, versus a, a civilian kind of going to those extremes. But anyway, yes, we're talking about Justified, uh, the FX series, um when did this start 2010 yep 2010 based on uh, specifically based on a novella by elmore leonard called fire in the hole but uh this character rayland who is the rayland who is the the main protagonist of the tv series is is a character in in three novels and a novella all written by elmore leonard who also wrote uh rum punch which Tarantino adapted into Jackie Brown. Uh, Out of sight, he wrote "Be Cool." Why did I go to "Be Cool" and not get "Shorty," which is the more famous of the <laughs> two about those characters? <laughs> um, has a, it, it has a cooler name. Sure. Sorry, I'm really sorry. But, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, Elmore Elmore Leonard, who who uh, well known for these sort of. Um, pulpy crime thriller novels wrote a lot of westerns 310 to yuma was uh, originally a, an elmore leonard story yeah so i mean why are we talking about justified matt well first of all it's a critically acclaimed television show and i think it kind of premiered around the tail end of i guess what some critics would call the golden age of television that unfortunate title for maybe the mid aughts to like i don't know 2015 or so 
Uh, yeah, and it, it, it's it's often lumped in in the conversation of with Breaking Bad and and Sopranos and uh, or probably more appropriately The Shield um, and other FX shows as as an example of like oh like this is the genre this is a this is a great crime show and I think both of us have you know it's a it's a blind spot for us and and we've talked about it for a while that hey we should we should probably. That we were both interested in the show, first of all, but also like, hey, this could probably be a fun thing to talk about. And when we, when we started discussing Justified, I believe you had purchased the collection of the first two Raylan Givens stories, um, which are called Pronto and Riding the Rap. And it also has the short story, which is the basis for the pilot called Fire in the Hole. Um, and you had messaged me saying like, hey, like, I'm going to read the books you can do whatever you like and but the but they're on sale for like three bucks <laughs> so obviously it felt like a no-brainer so i downloaded it as well and and so we kind of took on a, a, a big workload for this episode because we watched the whole first season we read that first book and i don't think either of us realized that the show was based on the short story fire in the hole um specifically until uh, we watched the pilot and in the pilot it says based on fire in the hole um, so then we made it a priority to read that because that is a short story. Justified was always sort of mentioned in the same breath as a lot of big television around that time. Um, you know, for one reason or the other, I, I would I would have to assume that uh, superficially it didn't initially grab my attention. Uh, you know, another I assumed it was going to be a very gritty antihero cop show. The cowboy hat suggested a certain country western twang that is not typically my wavelength. Um, but hearing the way other folks talked about that, whether uh, you know people I was reading online or uh, friends of mine, it's always just kind of been on the back burner. Something I'm going to get to. I mean, that's what we do here. So it, uh, it it's it's also a good fit because it's it's something neither of us have engaged with. But it, you know we've. We, we both like noir, we, we both, uh, especially coming off of Devil in a Blue Dress, Elmore Leonard feels sort of, uh, uh, you know, within that sort of sphere of that type of genre fiction, so. I So I have to admit, too, that around this time, this is probably the height of episodic review recap thing that was really popular um, on a number of, of pop culture websites, and I probably sampled and tried to watch as much as I possibly could if people were talking about it. And this was a show that was talked about quite a bit. And I did watch the first, I want to say like three or four episodes and then uh, stopped watching for one reason or another. I don't, I don't remember why. I don't think I was particularly excited about it, but um, maybe there was just too much going on or too much that I was watching. That's the same year that The Walking Dead premiered. Uh, and Spartacus premiered, which is an interesting show. So I don't know. I I, I kind of forgot about it, but I I you know I did you know a lot of people did say that the show kept keeps getting better. Um, so I even purchased the first two seasons on Blu-ray uh, several years after that. I think even before the show ended um, uh, for super cheap. I think it was like eight seven bucks a pop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this will give me the excuse to actually get into the show and I still didn't watch it for some reason I don't know why like I always had them I've owned them I own both the first and second season um so I was excited to to finally 
you know, get into it and, and, and watch the show. And, and I've never read any Elmore Leonard. So once you had mentioned we should, that you were reading the book as well, I thought that felt like a no-brainer. Um, so, but you have read some Elmore Leonard. Yeah. Um, not, not to be able to really speak to it in any detail. I read Rum Punch and Out of Sight well over 15 years ago. And, you know, I, I couldn't really tell you uh, much about them at this point. So for me, reading, reading these felt, um, felt like I was, you know, coming to, to Leonard's work fresh. Um, you know, and I think uh, one thing I was struck by, especially with Pronto, is how kind of laid back it is. It's very, uh, not slow, but like it's really not in a rush to go from like one sort of action scene to the next. It's it's not especially propulsive. And it spends a lot of time in the characters' heads. Um, and I'm just speaking in broad terms because after I read it, uh, and started watching Justified, I, I rewatched Jackie Brown and I was like, oh, this really makes sense that um, Tarantino was attracted to Elmore Leonard because if Rum Punch, which I like I said, I don't remember, if it reads like Pronto, um, that makes a lot of sense because Jackie Brown is just a lot of the characters hanging around and being themselves and then, again, not especially propulsive until it builds up to that exciting finish. But, uh, you know, I saw a lot in his adaptation and treatment of, uh, of the film. You know, I, I saw a lot of those characteristics in Elmore Leonard's writing, especially in Pronto. Uh, Fire in the Hole is a little more um, to the point. Again, it's a novella. Um, but let's talk about Fire in the Hole a bit um, and then get into Justified. Fire in the Hole uh, takes Raylan Givens, who, like you said, is a U.S. Marshal. Uh, he has been reassigned to his home of Harlan County, Kentucky. Uh, it's kind of a punishment. He's he he, he shot a guy in in broad daylight. Uh, this was a bad dude who also had a gun. Um, kind of the climax of Pronto is is really um, what sets fire in the hole in motion. He he's you know you know they're not allowed to do that regardless of whatever excuse he has for what he did um so he's sent back to kentucky which is his hometown uh there is a a, a sort of uh, vigilante group of of neo-nazis who have blown up a uh a black church uh and immediately Raylan recognizes that uh the perpetrator based on evidence uh witness descriptions uh was a, a guy that he dug coal with when he was younger and that kind of becomes the the through line really of fire in the hole is you know it keeps coming back to this idea of of what would Raylan have been like if he hadn't left um you know after all is said and done and you know he once again has to get into a, a shootout with with uh, the person he's after like his, his last line is we dug coal together you know, so like there's, this, you know, this connection between a person and the place where they come from and, you know, not necessarily responsibility there, but that, you know, that there are those relationships and things overlap and get messy. And, you know, looking at that, it's it's easy to understand maybe why they chose that as the starting point for Justified versus Pronto, which is, uh, 
you know, knowing what little I did about Justified, I was surprised to learn that Pronto starts in Miami and then <laughs> most of it takes place in this beautiful coastal town in Italy. Um, <laughs> and Raylan's not even the main character. He he comes in about um, maybe a third or maybe a little even later in the book, but um, it's really an ensemble piece about a bunch of, um, you know, gangsters and, and bookies and and sort of career criminal types and, uh, and one, uh, you know, a uh, poor woman who's sort of, uh, dragged into the riptide of, of all these, um, sort of shenanigans and criminal doings. We, we both read Pronto before we watched Justified. So I was a bit surprised by, as you said, like Raylan isn't the main character. I wouldn't say there's any main character. And I think maybe that's, kind of highlights what I think Elmore Leonard is very good at. And that's maybe not even chapter by chapter, but sometimes scene by scene, he figure out whose scene that is. And it's from that character's perspective. So regardless of how much of an asshole or racist or, or, or much of a monster the character is, it's still from his perspective. And he never judges any characters. And I found that refreshing because I feel like We've kind of gotten to a point now where that's a big part of a lot of uh, modern entertainment is judging the characters and make sure that uh, it's clear what their morals are. Um, and and Raylan in Pronto is he's a little more of an asshole, and I think he he gets kind of the the wool pulled over his eyes a lot more frequently than he does um, in the later book and also in the TV show. He's maybe not as smart or as clever as he is on the on the show justified. Yeah. The, the big sort of running joke in, in Pronto is that, uh, so the other principal, one of the other principal characters, um, a guy named Arno, he and Raylan had a run in years earlier where Raylan was supposed to bring him in and they were just, you know, waiting to catch a plane. And was it that, um, Raylan went to get ice cream or something. And then, and then, (laughs) and then Arno just took off. So like, and now like, and, you know, that's been sort of like the, you know, that becomes a gag. And it, it comes up in, even in the show at one point, there is a mention of, um, they kind of repurpose that that bit with another a character in a different episode. But, you know, people making fun of him for losing a losing someone in his custody because he stopped for ice cream. Um, yeah, he's almost, again, because it is more of an ensemble piece, he, he almost feels like a, he really kind of takes a backseat until the back half of that book where he really sort of by the circumstances of, of what have happened really needs to step up and insert himself into the situation and, and start making things happen. But he's just kind of like this aloof, you know, Marshall guy who just like he's got the hat and he likes ice cream and <laughs> he just kind of doesn't have a lot to say and do. And then, and then when, pressed into situations is like you know a straight up wild west gunslinger anytime he meets a woman too in any of the stories he kind of sizes her up and pictures himself in a relationship with her maybe even just a physical relationship he's kind of a (laughs) dirtbag you know usually i don't know if this happens to you but oftentimes like if i read something while knowing an actor plays that character I kind of picture that actor the whole time while I'm reading the book. And 
that did not happen with Pronto. I did not see Timothy Oliphant as Raylan in Pronto. Um, I, I, did you? Or was, is that I something didn't. you pictured the whole time? I, I didn't. And I'm trying to think of who. Oh, geez. I definitely had somebody in mind for him. And it, it, it wasn't it wasn't Timothy Oliphant. Jeez, I'm drawn. I can't remember who who I had in my head. Because then when I read Fire in the Hole, at that point I had started watching Justified. So like, I, I, there are multiple characters in Fire in the Hole that show up in the pilot episode of Justified and then become recurring characters. And at that point, you're kind of stuck with it because I had started watching the TV show. So, you know, Walton Goggins was... Actually, no, Walton Goggins wasn't <laughs> because that character is so different in the novella. He's much older has a different way about him. There is a, a very sort of Walton Goggins energy in the TV show that's that's unique to, to his person and delivery. You almost have to picture someone else when you're reading Fire in the Hole because the character he plays, uh, Boyd Crowder, um, uh, is, is so awful in the novella. And when he shows up in the show, he's, he's Walton Goggins and he's it's big and there's a lot of personality there and there's a lot of yeah. energy and he's just, and he, he's just got a swastika tattoo on his arm <laughs> yeah yeah uh I, I was actually on a side note uh, watching some extra features on the blu-ray and they said that when they were filming a lot of those swastikas they're not permanent tattoos obviously they're makeup but they would have to leave them on because they were filming so when they were living in the town these actors were walking around with swastika tattoos and i was just like there's no way around that. <laughs> like you, right? Like these poor actors, or, you know. Or, and maybe or, yeah. that's like our. Maybe that's like obviously like this has become an even bigger thing now in the past four years, where we're becoming more aware that this is something that hasn't gone away. So maybe that's my reaction to now. And this is 2010, but that still felt like to me like I would say no to that job for that reason alone. Well, it's interesting that you you mentioned you know, the recent history with right-wing extremism, because I was watching, you know, you watch Justified now, and you're, it's, it seems quaint that only 11 years ago, like, oh, yeah, like, now, if you see someone walking down the street with, like, Heil Hitler tattooed on their neck, it's like, oh, I know, I know who you are. But, like, 10 years ago, <laughs> like, it was, it was shocking and upsetting in a way that not... Okay, I'm putting my foot in my mouth. I'm not saying that it's not shocking or upsetting now, but I think since the utterance of good people on on both sides, like it, it stopped being like a black and white, like oh that that that's a piece of shit who needs to be dealt with. You know, watching the first episode of Justified Now, and like you know they're kind of going through the dossier and talking about Boyd Crowder and the the crowders commandos and and like they're making the the cops are making these questions like oh he's just a, you know this racist dirtbag piece of shit and i'm like i'm like would they be like <laughs> would they be so the so quick to jump to the correct conclusion about them now <laughs> yeah so much is colored uh, with these stories about you know our perception of the actors and the shows and and what's happening now versus what was happening 10 years ago and there are so many things about the show that feel be so so much older than it actually is because we don't necessarily see as many TV shows like this now, which are very episodic, a shot on film still, 
has a has a distinct visual language and it feels like it's from a bygone era and it's not that old. Right. I, w- I didn't I didn't know it was going to be that episodic and I was kind of taken aback by that. Yeah. Well, I did because like I said, I had watched a few episodes and maybe that's partly why back then um, when serialized shows were becoming more and more popular, maybe that's why I didn't stick with it because it felt old fashioned in a way. Watching it now, I felt like this is kind of refreshing. I wish more shows would would go back to some format like this just because I feel so much stuff is um, superficially serialized where, or, or at least it's not as episodic as it should be because uh, it, it feels like they're kind of like going in and be like, oh, we'll end here. And, and, you know, rather than crafting full episodes. And these all have distinct beginning, middle, middles and ends. Yeah, I think the one thing I've sort of <clears throat> struggled with is how, samey a lot of it feels you know i think of something so it feels very much like you know uh, uh think of something and i use this example a lot and i apologize but um like the x-files um i think it it, it it sort of the story over the course of a season feels very similar to that where there is a big arc um but it's usually a different case every week and the arc kind of weaves in and out uh whereas you know x-files because they were fbi and they were they're moving around a lot more, you know, or like, like Star Trek went to a different planet every week. And I feel like it could, because it's all in Kentucky, it all just kind of feels like it, it's like, oh man, how much could possibly be happening? <laughs> um, it's just that change, that change of scenery or, or the lack of a change of scenery just kind of makes it all feel a little too, too similar. And, and it, 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 for me, the first season could get a little, repetitive and and i i did catch myself kind of my interest was certainly up and down i think that's fair i don't as first seasons go i i you know i think there's some um filler in there um like you said it gets a bit repetitive i think the dialogue is always strong regardless of what's happening i think sometimes the plotting is just it's never it's not always super exciting i think right uh the overarching story is is interesting enough and uh I do think it goes in a good direction and and you start seeing a lot of threads coming together as the season progresses and gets towards the end. But yeah, I, I, and, and like I kept, like you said, I kept trying to check myself. I was like, am I not loving this because it's not what I'm used to now? Or am I not loving this for, I'm really sorry I'm about to say this, but justified <laughs> justified reasons. <laughs> and this is, this is, now we'll segue into... Um, you know, our, our new theme song, which is like hillbilly rap. <laughs> yeah. That also felt old in, 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 in quaint ways. Like, Oh wow. Okay. They're, they're, they're doing this thing. You know, so Timothy Oliphant plays Raylan Gibbons. And uh, although I did say that when I read Pronto, I did not picture Timothy Oliphant. I do think he's terrific as Raylan Gibbons on the show. I, he's uh, I, I've always liked him. He's great in Deadwood. And in here, he's just, he's very good with this, the, the, uh, these quick-witted, not one-liners, but like, I don't know, his dialogue is so specific, and the show does feel like the dialogue from the books. Yeah. He did have a great piece of dialogue from an episode in, in the second season, and I just, I'm going to mention it because it like stood out to me so far as like my favorite thing I had heard, blah, 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 someone's brother-in-law is running from you know, did something bad and they're being chased. Uh, 
and it's suggested that he's a really bad dude. And <laughs> uh, uh, Raylan says, well, how bad is her brother-in-law? Heads in a duffel bag or just an asshole? <laughs> that, that's a great line. Yeah. And there's a number of good lines from from the first season, too, I think. I think usually the, the big thing that or the commonality between this and the Elmore Leonard books is that I think you had mentioned this at one point, but the bad guys uh, and I think this is where the title comes from. But the bad guys feel justified in their actions just as much as Raylan feels justified in his actions. You question what Raylan's doing or his methods throughout the season Um and you, they try to make you understand what the bad guys are doing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they shot the pilot and, and at the end of the pilot, and this is similar to this short story, Fire in the Hole, uh, Boyd gets shot. Uh, and I guess he was supposed to die. Um, and then they showed it to um, executives for FX uh, and they did test readings and everyone was just like, why are you killing this guy? This guy's great. Um, which is, I guess, thankfully, thankfully, they kept decided to keep him on because that became the basis for the show is the relationship between these two guys that grew up together. And one obviously becomes a white supremacist and a career criminal and the other one becomes a marshal. So um, the show is defined by the differences between the two, uh, but also their relationship to their fathers. So the whole thing is about fathers and sons and trying to escape your past. Um, and they give Boyd like an arc in the first season where he has a come to Jesus moment, I guess, while he's in prison. Yeah, he survives getting shot at close range in the chest and, and really kind of, yeah, literally has a come to Jesus moment where he is he's has this reputation for, again, I mentioned this vigilante group, the Crowder's Commandos, which are these sort of you know, far white right wing extremist Aryan Brotherhood type, um, and and he sort of renounces that. Um, and, and but I mean, he doesn't really change his method so much. He's less outwardly violent, and he he sort of renounces his racism. But he he proceeds to sort of collect this other assortment of of um, born again criminals. And they're still doing criminal shit. They're they're but they they sort of take on this this other type of vigilante where they're, you know, uh, a big a big thing in this part of Kentucky where it's taking place is um, crystal meth and uh, opioids. And and he's he's sort of waging a war against the criminal element. But I mean, he's still again like Raylan taking things into his own hands. Both of their fathers, like you mentioned, there are these parallels and relationships. Their fathers are both involved in, in what they keep referring to as the Dixie Mafia. So um, it, it's, they really lean into that. I mean, there's a this scene where, where Boyd's dad goes down to Florida meet, to meet like a, a drug kingpin and everyone's got like sharp suits and his dad shows up in, you know, fucking belly high waiters and a suspenders and like a wolf t-shirt <laughs> like just looks like kind of like the uh, the, the typical redneck cliche uh, what i do think is interesting and i don't know if this gets explored more but after boyd who again it's played by walton goggins has that sort of come to jesus moment and you know becomes this sort of religious cult vigilante guy uh, there was a line or some exchange that suggested that even the white supremacy stuff was just, 
exploiting people sort of for his own means and for his father's means. Unless I misheard something, but it almost made it feel like the the racism was like performative and he's just doing this because he knew there were there are ignorant, hateful people who he could just kind of direct as his lackeys. But and he's kind of, and he just ends up doing the same thing with just a you know, a different a different type of performance. I mean, yet to be seen, you know, if he's actually um you know, found God or some higher purpose, or if he's just sort of phoning it in to 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 serve some some end that's yet to be revealed. Yeah, that that's definitely a strength of the show is that they never answer that question. You know, is he full of shit? You know, uh, and 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 I think that works well. I mean, that's what Elmore Leonard does a lot, of, does really well in his books as well. Is he? leaves that ambiguity to the character's choices, even when he's able to get into their perspective. But yeah, Boyd, you're never really sure if, if it's, he's, he's full of shit to do what he, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish or whether he actually believes in half the shit he says. Because he's passionate. He's good at it. He's good at, at, at prayer and, and preaching to people and, uh, and, and getting what he wants. Um, but in that regard, Raylan is too. There are moments where he has to trick some criminals. Like in the pilot, he has some guys in the car with him and, and uh, you know, he disarms them just by being smart and clever. Uh, and that's taken directly from the book. In, in, in The Fire and the Whole Short Story, a lot of Boyd's motivation is, is uh, about taxes. You know, like a lot about how taxing is... is um, is corruption in, in in the government's trying to steal from people and and these are conversations that people are having now and you know not good conversations bad conversations this is like what we're hearing all the time the motivations for people that are doing awful things is that oh the government's taking advantage of you etc cetera, etc cetera. um and they use that to justify their racism and and uh their bigotry yeah no there's a lot um i, I mean you could look at any one of the right-wing groups who who we've sort of seen or read about in the last couple of years and you know all the all, all the you know the boyd and his his followers certainly check all those boxes and if you know if you had a a checklist of oh if we're writing a fictional <laughs> um militia group what should we you know what do we need to include here and like you know it's it's all there it is it is it was difficult to sort of to read this and you know, man, I don't know. It's <laughs> I, I <laughs> it's really especially in wake of of what happened on January sixth. It's really it was very discouraging to read. And I'm like, oh, this is just like this has been in the ether forever. And I'm like, I know that. I think we all knew that academically, and then we sort of ha- were forced to reckon with the reality of it. But I mean, this stuff's just been the air forever. And uh, but again, just to sort of you know, he doesn't flat out say like these are the bad guys. But like, you don't have to. They're you don't have to read between the lines with this type of stuff. It's it's there are no dog whistles here to sort of to suggest who the villains are. It's, it's pretty aberrant <laughs> stuff. And I think, you know, may, and maybe that's, maybe that's how it gets so bad is like, you know, you just sort of take for granted that evil is evil and, you know, you almost sort of dismiss it and, you know, like, uh, 
you know, when it's a running joke in the Blues Brothers, how seriously do you take it? And then 40 years later, uh, fuck. Yeah, when 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 every other 80s villain is is a Nazi and, and we cheer at their faces melting, it's a bit alarming when all of a sudden we turn around and we open the door and invite them back in. Yeah, it's, it's similar to what, you know, on our succession episode where you're talking about like, hey, like, I get it. Maybe sometimes I just don't want to live in this world, even if yeah. it's clever, even if it's funny. Um, and and reading the fire in the hole, it wasn't as entertaining in the same way that Pronto's entertaining. And Pronto's brisk and it's fun, and the character dynamics are just so wonderful, and the dialogue is so clever, but not in ways that draw attention to itself. And the characters, there are still racist characters in Pronto, um, but it's this different sort of the way people kind of used to generalize that sort of racism, not that bold-faced white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And the show clearly realized quickly that if they wanted to keep Boyd around, they're going to have to pivot with that. And then they made his, Boyd's father, the ultimate form of this, um, who's uses white supremacy to make money and 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 will do anything to get what he needs and so he becomes the main bad guy for the first season Mm -hmm. um part of me was like oh like especially after pronto where you don't necessarily root for anyone in particular um and i was really impressed by that they're all fascinating characters uh on their own and 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 part of the show like you're with Raylan the whole time. He's the hero. So even though they do things that like he makes questionable choices, you're still always on Raylan's side. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, I wish this was maybe more more like Deadwood, um, where the characters are even more morally gray and uh, there's more variety in the characters and um, there's no specific lead. I, I was very concerned, you know, after the first episode, because I was like, oh, I really, I, I don't want to like this character, but Walton Goggins is extremely likable. And then you think about it and like, <laughs> has he ever played just a, like a decent person? Like <laughs> his, you know, I'm thinking like, especially in the stuff he's done with Danny McBride, like Vice Principals, The Righteous Gemstones, he's just... He's just so awful, but he is so goddamn charming. And like, you know, I, I I have to assume he is not personally satisfied with the with what his characters are doing on screen. But man, he just like he just oozes this like this joy of being these these big absurd awful characters, and he does it really really well. He had to be convinced to do the show because he didn't want to play a white supremacist. Um, and, and we haven't mentioned him, but the show was created by Graham Yost. Um, he's probably most famous for, famously known for, aside from Justified, uh, for writing Speed. Um, and he also did For All Mankind, um, the miniseries that was on HBO. I think that's... Wait, uh, wait For All Mankind is... The, no, the from the one. Earth to the Moon. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. No, from the Earth to the Moon. Um, and he also did the Pacific. So those ones that were like produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Um, he was producers and writers for for both of those. Uh, but he wrote Speed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so he was a big fan of Elmore Leonard, and he got a copy of Fire in the Hole, and he's like, Oh yeah, I could easily adapt this. 
Um, and 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 the pilot is pretty much fire in the hole. Mm-hmm. He made a few changes which he felt would kind of um, make it easier for that for the writers. Uh, the first is in the books, Raylan has two kids, and he decided to make him childless in the show. Uh, I, I have an anecdote from him where he talks about it. Um, he, he he compares it to Frasier, where Frasier clearly had a child uh, on on Cheers, and is su- the child is such an afterthought on the show Frasier, uh, and he's just like I didn't want to I didn't want that I didn't want to have Rayland have these kids that were in the background and just you know never really talk about these kids, so he made him childless. He also made his ex wife a sort of a main character on the show and she's just mentioned in the books and she's like a big part of the show and she ends the pilot by saying um um she ends the pilot when she's talking to Raylan. she says you're the angriest man uh, that i've ever known uh, and i'm slightly paraphrasing i don't i don't think the show is interested in that whatsoever <laughs> and i think graham yost kind of addressed that too like oh like we needed like this big hook at the end of the pilot um, to get people suckered in to keep coming back. But after a while, we realized, oh, hey, that's not necessarily the show. Like, he's not the angriest man as the season progresses. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I mean, there's got to be some of that there. If he's, you know, he's willing to to be an officer of the law, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, be giving these ultimatums, like, you've got 24 hours to leave or I will shoot you. Um, <laughs> you know, he he is... He's rarely uncomfortable stepping way out of, you know, what should be the 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 bounds of normal, and that's got to be for a reason. It can't just be, you know, if he doesn't seem like the angriest man in the world, he also doesn't seem like someone who's necessarily drunk with power. You know, that yeah. comes with a badge yeah. oh, and a gun. Sure. So, you know, who knows? Maybe I don't know. Unless the unless the shows creator has said explicitly that they just abandoned that concept um and the extra features he sort of uh, admitted to that saying like oh that's not really what it is and at the time like again like you had uh tony soprano and uh, all these big anti-heroes so it was kind of like well we're gonna lean into that because that's gonna get our pilot made it's gonna get Mm -hmm. us to progress the series and he's not really that he's a complex figure and he makes morally great choices but he's never like the angriest person (laughs) uh in the room you know and then especially as the season progresses there's a lot more angrier people people that he has to contend with um we also haven't talked about uh, the character ava crowder who is boyd's uh sister-in-law and uh the sh- the pilot you know one of the things is she she she, she um she shot her um her husband, husband who's, yeah. who's treating her poorly um and so part of raylan coming back um, to his hometown and, and and seeing her again and they kind of have this rekindle like this relationship that they sort of allude to um, before um, when they were younger I guess yeah they knew each other in high school and and sort of recognized and crushed on one another from afar but never did anything there there was an age difference as well he was a little bit older um, but I mean he like knocks on her door and then she just they just kind of like end up in each other's arms and and kiss one another. And yeah, and then that gets muddy because she's there when he shoots Boyd. And there one of the one of the few 
plot threads over the first season is this sort of ongoing internal investigation about uh, Raylan shooting yet another person. And then he becomes yeah, so quickly in, after the first one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then he becomes involved in a sexual relationship with Ava um, and that gets found out and there are repercussions for him, you know, uh, sleeping with someone who is a witness to uh, a shooting he is being investigated for. He and his wife sort of being forced back into close proximity with one another. You know, there are some some things there. Her her current husband, uh, who she left Raylan for, is a real estate agent, but his you know, like every character uh, in the show seems to be involved with some sort of uh, shady ne'er-do-well. Um, you know, again, the, that Dixie Mafia seems to have its its uh, its fingers in a little bit of everything. You know, I, I think it takes a while to sort of get to the compelling stuff. Like I said, it, it's the episodic nature of it. It just feels like it's very, like, herky-jerky in terms of pushing stuff forward later in the season once you get into once you really get into the meat of it with Raylan and his dad who uh we learn is working for for Boyd's father Boyd's father gets out of jail learns that Raylan's dad really dropped the ball and fucked up while he was on the inside so you know I think the the emergence of of Boyd's father kind of kind of gives that first season a, a center of gravity for for things to sort of uh, revolve around and that's when it starts to for me started becoming a little more uh engaging which isn't to say that you know uh an unrelated episode starring alan ruck as a you know a guy who's changed his identity and abandoned a life of crime to be a dentist for the uh the low income and impoverished of his community <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I never dis. It's never I. I never actively disliked it. I never said this is poorly made. I'm. I don't like this. I think maybe when there's so much stuff to watch, and and this is spoke spoken about so highly, it was being like, oh, okay, this is good, and I maybe my expectations were a little higher than that. Going back to reviews from the first season, I think everyone agreed with that. I think everyone was just like, yeah, this is fine. This is good. I think. It kicks into gear in the second season, from what I've read, and so um, I'm ex- excited to to keep going. Because, uh, like you said, I, it did come together um, for me towards the back half of the season. So, have you watched any of the second season yet? No, not yet. Have you? So, uh, you 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 alluded to that you did. So, you had that quote from it. So, like, yeah, um, I how watched, far are you into uh, it? Maybe four episodes. Chadwick Boseman actually was just in. Oh wow! Yeah, and he. So the the second season really uh, establishes the 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 big players pretty quickly uh, and Is establishes it, the uh, stakes. Margot so, Martindale, right? Mar- Margot Martindale uh, and her sons, who include um, Jeremy Davies. He was um, oh yeah, Faraday on Lost. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Which is interesting because Boyd's father is also played by an actor from Lost. Yeah, she has several. So Margot Martindale is. She, she's growing marijuana and you know, her big thing is, is um, again, crystal meth, opioids, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, maybe her, her sons might be uh, involved or trying to interfere with, with that kind of stuff in ways that are suggesting that uh, 
worlds might come to a head. But but I think it's sort of the characters feel a bit bigger. You know, Margot Martindale sort of has that. I mean, she's so great anyway, but I think sort of having her as this, you know, this this really superficially sweet down home like, oh, yeah, come on, come on over to mama's house. We'll, you know, we'll we'll uh, fry up some dinner. We'll have some pie and then I got some moonshine for you. But like she's this like ruthless criminal mastermind you know in this in this part of kentucky and and i think it's 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 a little more heightened and 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 fun in that way i mentioned chadwick boseman he plays a drug dealer you know he's he's his 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 ambition is to like his way out is to with with uh, uh up close magic he wants to like be a stage magician and then he gets shot through his hand and he's like, he's like, this was, this is my way out. I can't do magic like this anymore. Um, <laughs> and, and those, those sorts of, um, you know, almost com- you know, comical, um, criminals. Uh, I mean, that's much more exciting for me. And it also feels much more in line with, uh, uh some of the peripheral characters in, in Pronto where, you know, there's, there's like this meathead, uh, sort of jock enforcer slash driver for a, a Miami mafia don, and he was a hysterical character. Um, even though the 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 mafia heavy in Pronto was very a very over the top and 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 fun character. Um, you know, as bad as either of them were, but they were um, they were ridiculous, and I don't think the first season of justified is nearly as ridiculous as some of some of the stuff that comes up in the, the Raylan Givens books and, and, and season two seems to be moving towards that without, without going too over the top. That said, I'm not necessarily in a rush. Um, it's kind of, I know that it's there, but I, I did feel like finishing the first season started to feel a bit like homework. But it, but knowing that the reputation, especially the second season, is really well liked, I, I did want to watch the first couple at least, you know, to see if it, it grabbed me any differently. And it, it does seem like there's more there that's up my alley. So I might take a breather, but um, I'm glad that Margot Martindale is there for me when I'm ready for it. Graham Yost had for uh, the writer's room, he had bracelets made up that said WWED, what would Elmore do? <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's great yeah and, and and elmore became like a producer for the show um but he passed away in 2013 so the show was still running um, but the show gave him uh like this renewed interest in the character and he wrote uh, another book called raylan um which i haven't read i read the second book in um that follows pronto which is called riding the rap have you read riding the rap yet i haven't no i enjoy that one quite a bit Raylan takes uh, more of a lead role in that one, but it still feels more like of an ensemble thing. There are still some career criminals that are think they're smarter than they actually are, and it deepens this relationship with uh, uh, this character named Joyce that is introduced in Pronto, and even like one of the main uh, characters from the first book, Harry Arno, who you had mentioned, returns. And I was so excited to see 
those stories and brought into the second book and have those characters and relationships developed even more because I love them just as much, if not more than Raylan in the first book. Uh, Harry's such a a great character. Um, I did see that writing the rap was, um, no, Pronto was adapted. uh, There was a TV film version of it. Raylan Givens is played by James LaGrosse, who is, uh, he's like a character actor. I'm sure you'd recognize him if you saw him. But even more exciting is Harry Arno is played by Peter Falk, which is a great, great casting choice um, after reading the book. Uh, I kind of want to see it. I'm sure it's nothing spectacular. Um, a 1997 made for TV movie. You never know. Maybe it, you know, maybe it squeaked in there. <laughs> um I guess, you know, Elmore always said, too, that, like, his, he always saw his his books as movies. Like, he was always a movie-obsessed person. Uh, there are a lot of movie references in his books. There's a reference to Reservoir Dogs and um, Pronto. And uh, I think, you know, he, he was really big on True Romance. He he loved that movie, and Quentin Tarantino wrote that. And, and Tarantino himself said that it's basically an Elmore Leonard movie that he didn't write. And you could see why Tarantino would want to uh, adapt Rum Punch for Jackie Brown. They have that similar interest in career criminals and not necessarily judging the these morally gray characters and, and acerbic dialogue. I think Tarantino's dialogue's maybe a bit more ostentatious. And I, I think in Tarantino's case, I think that's a good thing. I think there's a succinctness to the way Elmore Leonard writes dialogue that uh, I just find so impressive. Like his characters aren't always verbose or speak a lot, but it's like quick and and witty, and it it it's exactly what it needs to be. And I think it's one of those things that maybe when you're reading it, it feels easier than it is, and that's why a lot of people try to replicate it, and a lot of people try to adapt uh, Leonard. But it's it's not as easy as it seems. Uh, and, and obviously, like I you know I think we both sort of like the first season of Justified, but. It's still not quite there, I guess. Although, like, he was really fond of the show. He said that he really, he read the script for the pilot, uh, and he really liked it, and he was uh, really encouraging to Graham Yost in the writer's room, and and again, he came on as an executive producer for a bit of the show as well. Yeah, I mean, I think especially that pilot really hews closely to what makes Fire in the Hole an interesting read, Uh, and I, I think they found a creative way to to flesh out Raylan's world, uh, I mean, specifically Kentucky. And I think, you know, you don't, I think, I think there are certain ideas about, you know, when you think of, uh, crime dramas, you think about like, you know, a lot of coastal stuff, the mob or cartels. And, you know, I think this sort of Appalachian take, I, I mean, especially in, 2010 where you've got the shield and you've got the sopranos and you've got i mean breaking bad at that point is has the southwest covered (laughs) um (laughs) you know it it is a different setting and a different you know if you think of it as a chess game the the pieces all look a little different you know what i mean um so i i think you know i i yeah who knows um i wonder if how much that book he wrote after the show started and became successful is indebted to it. Do you have any idea if, if the book Raylan stays in Kentucky and sort of plays around with any of those ideas or? No, I'm not really sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it plays off of stuff that happens in the show in a sense, like he, he 
plays with some of those elements. Um, I I plan to read it because I've read the other three stories and you know might as well finish it at this point um Mm -hmm. i'm honestly more excited to read that than i am to continue the show but i'm going to continue the show i think i just discovering elmore leonard i you know i've I've mentioned on the show that i've been reading a lot of crime stories so i think it was inevitable that i would eventually get to elmore leonard and um yeah i'm excited i loved it I, i i love pronto i thought it was just such a fun read and i couldn't put it down and uh, so I'm excited to have over 40 books to read in short stories. <laughs> yeah, he's, I, he's, you know, there are a lot of guys like that. And I, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but like the Stephen Kings of the world or the Elmore Leonard's of the world, like, man, I just, to tap into whatever, whatever you've got in your brain to just be a, a limitless well of ideas and to be able to produce them so quickly and so consistently over you know, I'm not even speaking in terms of quality when I say consistently, but like, I mean, he his deck his career spans has to have spanned 40, 50 years. I mean, some of the short Western stories that he wrote were adapted, you know, way back when in the '60s and '70s, right? I think the original 310 to Yuma was in the Tall T. Those are those are the '50s, yeah. So I downloaded uh, this his book, uh, Elmore Leonard's Ten Rules of Writing, because I thought uh, after reading all this stuff and, and really falling for his writing. And it'd be fun to to have that as a reference point for this episode, but also, I, why not? It'd be nice to kind of pick up some tricks. And it's really not a book. It's just kind of like his rules and big bold and then like a couple mm-hmm. of like, hey, do this thing. But there's a lot of things um, like number five, keep your exclamation points under control. <laughs> um there's one in particular. Um, oh, number two, avoid prologues. Never use a verb other than said to carry dialogue. And even in Pronto, um, it kind of reads like a screenplay at times where a character would say a line and there'd be a space and then another character would say a line. He didn't always use said. He'd just have the dialogue in quotations and you just follow because you'd know they'd respond. He's good at that. And that seems like a tricky thing to really pull off well i think he's really yeah he's really good at nailing each character's voice so you know once you've established the pecking order like raylan said blah 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 blah," said arno you've got the order and then like from there he's it's, it's never confusing about who's speaking and i think he's very good with with slang and mannerisms um I mean, especially there's there's Tommy Bucks, who is like this, he's kind of like, you know, the character Furio from The Sopranos, who is like a, <laughs> yeah, a hitman exactly. who comes from the old country and is sort of in Tony's crew. But in, in Pronto, it's a guy who comes over from Italy and is just immediately repulsed by everything he sees within like the mob boss's organization and way of doing things. And it's like, fuck it, I'm just going to like... He knew he knew he was a better class of criminal than the the American goons he was surrounded by, and his uh, his dialogue and perspective was always a lot of fun. And, and you always knew, I mean, partially because of the English being his second language and the, the sort of affectations that Le- that Leonard put into his dialogue, it was very clear when he was speaking. But uh, one of his rules is avoid detailed descriptions of characters, and he talks about how. Uh, what I had mentioned up front, and one thing that I loved is that you define your characters not through description, but through their actions, by their choices that they make. And that's clear when you read the book, too. Like, he rarely 
describes anything really like it's always succinct and brief but you know like you know what choices Raylan's is going to make as the as the book progresses i thought that was a good one yeah i mean any guy who walks around the modern world as a cowboy i mean he that that that's that's the that's all you need and like that's not just a physical description he's not just a guy in a cowboy hat he sort of personifies that that old west martial attitude yeah yeah i mean outside of that i don't can't remember a distinguishing characteristic about him physically that's on the page he made a elmore leonard made a a point to kind of and i guess this is a sort of bit of contention that that the hat the cowboy hat that timothy oliphant wears in justified isn't the correct hat (laughs) it's like a 10 gallon (laughs) hat and the hat that he based he that he had intended was the ones that um you could you could do a google search now but like if you see the those photos of uh lee harvey oswald being taken into custody um there's all these marshals around him and they all are wearing the hat that he intended raylan to wear so a Mm -hmm. bit smaller a little more form-fitting but they said they needed something that would fit timothy oliphant's head a little bit better but in (laughs) extra features on the blu-ray it was funny how he'd be like yeah the hat looks good i like it uh it's not the hat that i wanted it's not the hat that i intended and it was just like this point of contention, but it made a lot of sense because to him, it was this very specific detail that mm-hmm. defined the character. And he said he didn't intend for his stories to be Westerns, but I do feel like they made a visual choice to shoot the show like a Western. It's a lot of low angle shots, a lot of those kind of hero establishing shots, uh, a lot of those kind of over the shoulder um, you know, the, 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 the um, showdown kind of language that you see in lots of westerns and whatnot um and and it works for the show uh you definitely don't they don't the the books definitely don't feel like westerns uh, they're definitely it's its own thing a lot of saloons and then um you know in the second season margo martindale's character runs a general store which is sort of yeah it, it's all it, it all sort of uh, uh references the the sort of archetypical western settings in in a in a more modern context i will say i like there is something pleasing about the way the show looked even if it's not as distinctive visually as something like mad men or breaking bad i think there was a a, a cl- it was like clean in its compositions there's a simple simplicity there it, it never got in its own way and there's a directness it felt old-fashioned in a lot of ways and it's lit extremely well compared to 90% of what's on television. It doesn't have that that digital mud that so much modern stuff has. And um, if it, the show premiered now, it'd probably be underlit and look muddy and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was great and refreshing to see this show that like, oh, like it's lit, <laughs> you know, it looks nice. There's a lot of texture there. Um, if something shot in a bar there, you could see a lot. Um, you could see there's a deeper focus. There's a great shot when Boyd gets out of prison halfway through the season. It's kind of above and their shadows are so long. It kind of tells a, a great story about these two characters and their long history and their lives together um, all through one shot. Um, and the show does that a lot. There's a lot of moments where it just allows two characters in a space to interact without a lot of cutting. Um, so although it, it wasn't visually stylish in ways that sometimes um, we like to talk about on this podcast where it's distinctive, I, I did think that um, it did a good job with 
with its visual language. Um, was there anything else uh, about Elmore or Leonard or Justified or that uh, you wanted to talk about? No, I think that's it. I think that about covers it, yeah. Um, so you're going to keep going, but just sort of at a slow pace? Yeah, I think I'm going to take a little bit of a breather. Um, yep. You're going to read Writing the Rap? I'm going to read Writing the Rap. Um, you also mentioned um, Succession earlier, and I, I just read that uh, a third season season's three, coming soon. So I got to catch up on that. I will. I think I'm going to watch the second season of Succession, and then I'll hop back into Justified. Okay. But um, that, uh, that makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I've got some recommendations. All right, great. This is for both of us, but uh, since you haven't read them and I, I, it's been long enough that I, I don't remember, I think uh, reading the novels Out of Sight and Rum Punch um, is a great idea. I mean, especially knowing that you like Tarantino and Soderbergh, I think those are... Um, they're, they're on my list, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you'd really enjoy reading them and looking at how they adapted both, and I, I'm, I'm excited to revisit those as well. But... Um, I will recommend a novel that my my father-in-law has been uh, coming by once a week to hang out with Sandra and the boys while I'm at work. And he's he's a very fast reader and he's been leaving just a, it's more of a pile at this point of um, of these types of, of crime stories. And he's left a lot by Carl Hyacin, who um, I didn't recognize the name, but he wrote uh, Striptease, which was adapted into the movie with Demi Moore and Burt Reynolds in the 90s. I read his novel Sick Puppy, which feels feels very much like Elmore Leonard. The characters are a bit more heightened and absurd. Uh, it, the 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 main the two main characters here are one is this really sleazy political lobbyist, and, and his foil is this sort of uh, trust fund kid who whose family wealth comes from real estate development. But he has really kind of committed himself to being almost a. Uh, an environmental vigilante. So he sees this lobbyist just throwing like fast food rapper wrappers and stuff out of his truck and follows him home like a psycho. And it becomes this very um, convoluted story involving um, shady politicians, uh, shadier land deals, uh, some criminals, a disgraced former governor who sort of lives in the Everglades as a hermit, but it's very quick. It's very funny. Um, and I think if you like Elmore Leonard, I think you'd like it. It's called Sick Puppy. Cool. Um, so I'm going to recommend a, a couple of things. I'm going to go in, in a slightly in a different direction. Timothy Oliphant's uh, performance is great, uh, so I wanted to talk about him a bit. And uh, there was a show he was uh, on from 2017 to 2019 that was on Netflix called Santa Clarita Diet. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it stars him uh, and uh, his wife is played by Drew Barrymore and she becomes a zombie it's not the form of zombie that you're usually used to she's kind of cognizant and, and, and functional but if she doesn't eat brains or, or, or human flesh then she starts to devolve and, and act like the zombies that we're all familiar with uh, it's really funny it's created and uh, written by Victor Fresco I don't know if you're familiar with him but he did uh, Andy Richter controls the universe and um, and Better Off Ted, which has one of the worst titles ever, but is a, a really really funny show. Um, it's got workplace comedy, um, but this is funny and he's so good and charming. Uh, he's great with the. He's not only good at being kind of confrontational, intimidating, and and 
um, smart, but he's great at being kind of this put upon husband who's trying his best to help his wife and falling apart at all times. And he plays the comedy so well. Um, so it's rare that he does the comedy um, or, or he gets talked about in, in, in the context of um, comedic roles as he does his more serious stuff. Um, and I also wanted to recommend, I don't know if you've actually ever seen it, but uh, if you haven't, uh, Walton Goggins um, became famous uh, from The Shield. And The Shield is is fantastic. Has one of the greatest finales, I think, ever. Um, that final season just kind of wrap, ramps up that tension. It keeps building and building until everything kind of falls apart. Similar to Breaking Bad. Uh, it's a really good show uh, I, you know, about a corrupt cop um, and and his, his crew and, and how much they can get away with. They're really, really bad people uh, and it, they start off as bad people and only get worse as it goes but it's such a compelling show and like i said the finale is incredible what are we talking about next time uh well uh, our next episode should drop well will drop the should is whether or not the olympics actually happen uh but we're gonna be doing <laughs> we're gonna be talking about sports movies we're we're both gonna watch hoop dreams and i think um Maybe sample some other um, sports documentaries and, and maybe some, if we feel up to it, maybe some sports narrative features just to kind of like, uh, Hoop Dreams will be the anchor of the episode. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's hard to get excited about it this year, but Sandra and I do really enjoy the uh, the summer games, especially um, after 2016. Uh, we both, I mean, like... A lot of people in the world uh, fell in love with Simone Biles and the the gymnastics team was really fantastic. And, you know, I tuned into some fencing, uh, <laughs> which was fun. And yeah, so uh, I've always wanted to fence. Yeah, uh, I think there's an there's an academy in Rhode Island somewhere. Should sign up. I've thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> we but should yeah, do so it I, together. That could be an episode. Oh, shit. OK, let's 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 flag that one for when the world's fully back on okay. track well tony and matt go take <laughs> this week lessons. we're talking about fencing <laughs> do you have any idea what you're gonna watch outside of hoop dreams or any thoughts i know there's a bunch of olympic related docs on the criterion channel so i may just dip into there I, you know i've watched a, uh, there's a lot of sports movies that i like you know like bull durham is great maybe i'll use this as an excuse to watch the last sam raimi movie that i've never seen um, oh for love of the game is, yeah i've never seen it so maybe i'll watch that uh, as an excuse to finally check that off the list that's the only sam raimi movie i haven't seen uh, yeah i, I hear it's his too. worst <laughs> 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 um but you know for the purpose of the show i don't know i think i may just see what kind of comes my way yeah, I, I was thinking, I mean, the the Criterion stuff is really interesting because, yeah, I mean, there, there's Olympic footage going back before the First World War on there. Like, I mean, it's really just like a camera on a tripod and, you know, there's not a lot to it, but then you get into the 70s and I know there's, um, whether it was the early 70s or the late 60s, there's, there's one Olympic Games from... That, that was in Japan that was filmed that's supposed to be really incredible. But I've also got Slapshot on my mind. I've never seen Slapshot. Oh, I've never seen that either. So um, maybe that if that one's... Cool. Yeah, mm. maybe if that one's on somewhere. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I think, you know, much as I, I, I'm not really a sports guy, I think I've always enjoyed, especially documentaries. I think sports documentaries are really fascinating. Yeah, um, I do too. Sports movies 
are are pretty hit or miss. I think, especially anything that's based on a true story, I I sort of feel like that's that's emotional manipulation to to make up for them all being the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad I watched it as part of my Clint Eastwood um, viewing. Uh, I watched last year million dollar baby oh yeah There's some sports there and and i cried last time i watched it it's that ending man Whew. it's so yeah. it's so tender i'm mm-hmm. it always surprises me but he has a few other sports movies that maybe I, invictus which is uh on netflix oh right yeah now. so maybe i'll do that i could just cross off all these other things and there you go different lists right awesome cool. all right we'll see you then all righty Thanks for listening to another episode of What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can send us an email at whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And thanks, as always, to the What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org. And you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub.org.